Okay, welcome to another episode of Hamilton Sales Training's AudioCast. Today we want to talk about something that is pretty near and dear to my heart because it used to hit one of my favorite sales consultants on a consistent basis and I used to go through it just a little bit too. And that's the idea of anxiety or or performance anxiety at a certain point in the month when uh, perhaps things aren't going the way they should. And I'll tell you a little story about a really, really neat young man. He's actually a National Guardsman, uh, misses work here and again, serving our country. Um, we're definitely grateful for that. But he had talked to me the other day, and he said, you know, I think I'm, I'm, think I'm starting to panic a little bit. Now, he had been, again, away from work for a period of time, maybe lost a little bit of his mojo, so to speak, and, and lost a little bit of his uh, synchronicity and, and his ability to counter-transition and close and a number of different things. Just got out of it a little bit, and, and this does happen from time to time. But he said to me, he said, I think I'm beginning to panic. And I said, oh, don't do that. I said, that's, that's not what you want to do. You don't need to do that. You're highly skilled. You know exactly what you have to do. The only thing now is execution. But there's certain things that do happen if we do panic. And we'll go into those in just a second here. But I want to tell, go back to a different story of a sales consultant that I maybe mentioned in the past, but that always started slow. He had almost always, he ended up with 12 or 15 units a month, which is a pretty good job. It's not elite necessarily where we want to be, but it's a solid performance in most of our facilities these days. But he had always started one or two units by the 15th or 18th or what have you. And then guess what? That panic uh, or anxiety would start to set in, and then he'd start pressing. So we'd have to talk him down a little bit and remind him exactly, you know, what he's supposed to do on a day-to-day basis and how he needs to maintain his calmness. He needs to still use feigned indifference, and that's the that, that's primary because you can't press because the customers will know it and they will see you doing it or sense you doing it and uh, definitely take you away from your A game. That's for certain. But anyway, this fellow would always finish with a flourish, it seemed like. He'd end up again, like I said, with uh, 12 or 15 units. And then I started to discover something that had happened to me in the past. I used to have, you know, nine-day dry spells, uh, eight or nine-day dry spells. And I used to wonder why. You know, I used to track it pretty consistently. The funny thing about it was it was always preceded by a hot streak. And we talk about this in the book just a bit. And one of the One of the things that can cause a a slump is a hot streak now why why would that be well the fact of the matter is that let's go back to our sales consultant who always finished strong if he's selling 12 or 15 units in the last two weeks of the month and hadn't done much at the beginning uh, he's extremely busy uh, getting vehicles ready going over vehicles delivering cars doing the follow-up the proper things to get the proper surveys back and reviews and everything that he needs to do as a responsible sales consultant how easy is it during the course of the day to forget to take it up. How easy is it to simply let somebody else take that customer at the door, meet or greet that customer at the door on the lot and do a proper presentation? Will it take us away from our proper delivery? We don't know. But the thing is, is that we get away from that during our hot streaks. Let's say we have two or three deliveries in a day, maybe just two. And we decide, well, we're going (laughs) to, we're going to, I don't want to say milk it, but we're going to over prepare for these deliveries. And all of a sudden, everybody that is on the lot, everybody that comes through the door is somebody else's. And what happens? Our basket dries up, and we have nothing to work after that hot streak is over. So that's why it is vital during the hot streak when you're very busy to press yourself even harder and take two more customers in a day 
when you normally wouldn't and do a proper presentation and try to put the deliveries on the back burner uh, knowing that they're not going to happen for a while and give it all out give it that presentation so that you maintain uh, that run that you're on because I'll tell you what you don't take any customers and it can dry up really really quickly and then you're scratching your head and you're wondering why same thing with the fellow that ends strong we were talking about uh, he goes and does everything he needs to do to finish very, very strong, but he doesn't take any more customers that last week or 10 days. All of a sudden, the beginning of the month, you big exhale, you get everything delivered that you're supposed to, and then uh, you kind of go on cruise control a little bit. And that is not something that you can afford to do, again, if you want to be elite. So I shared that story back with the young National Guardsman, and I uh, said, this is not something that you want to get into, but don't panic, because if you... Uh, allow that to get into your presentation again people will sense it continue with what you know continue the feigned indifference tell them they have all the time in the world they need to think about it if that's what they want to do they're in control they're the boss and then continue to ask them for the business just because you tell them these things just because you let the customers have the control or the perception of the control doesn't mean you can't take it back with a closing question or closing statement and this is what I kept reminding him to do. It's going to be okay. Just go back to what you know how to do. Do the proper presentation. And one of the biggest things, too, that we, we tend to do if we get in these slumps is what? We shortcut. Because we want to get that instant gratification of an easy sale. We want to get that laydown. So we start projecting uh, or predicting uh, what that laydown might look like. And if that customer on a lot doesn't look like a potential quick sale, even subconsciously, we can avoid waiting on them. Again, it's somebody else's. We sure hate to see it when somebody else waits on that customer, continues to build rapport, presents and demonstrates a vehicle, asks the proper trial close, writes the vehicle up, and then delivers the car, and we wonder what happened. And then we promise ourselves we'll never do it again, and but we do. Uh, so these are things to always keep in mind. Simply do what you're supposed to do on a day-to-day -day basis and continue to learn and continue to get better, and you will be elite. But the last thing that you want to do is panic when you're in a bit of a rough spell because you'll come out of it, and there's a lot of support to come out of it. Contact me if you want to at robathamiltonsalestraining.com. Happy to help out, ask any questions that you want. Definitely here for you. This is a team effort. This is this is a group thing. This is how we're going to be elite across the board. This is how we're going to alter uh, the profession. This is how we're going to become the best and, and change people's perception of what we are. We're going to get rid of the the parody and the caricature. Perception is about auto sales. We are a respectable profession. And the only way to do that is to practice every single day and do the things we know how to do. So, But anyway, don't panic. And uh, this young man will come out of this slump very quickly, and we know he will, and so will everybody else that pays attention to these things. So moving forward, one of the things that I mention maybe more often than I should is old school, or old school philosophy, uh, or old school mentality, it, almost as if I'm being critical of that. So if, that, if it sounds like that's the case, and you've heard me speak before or watch videos, please forgive me for that. That is not what the intention is when I say old school. What I mean by old school is the things that have been working for the past 30 years, which are no longer quite as effective, but still have a place. You still have a place if you decide to go ahead and tell a customer to park in the sold row if you choose to do that. That is not something that is gone by the wayside. It is still an effective means. And if that's something that you're used to and that's something that your management uh, teaches, then by all means do that. If it's not something that feels comfortable to you, 
There's other ways to go about it. That's just one method. There's a number of different things that we talk about with old school, uh, even to the point where people are greeting customers and saying, what do I have to do to sell you a car today? Oh, we're having a giant sale. Great. Are you here for the big sale, even though there's no sale going on? I understand. It's all salesmanship. Wonderful. We are going to do everything that we can to possibly get the customer into the buying mood or into a buying frame of mind. Uh, I do get that. But what I'm talking about is focusing on what is going to bring us elite status in our profession and change the profession and get rid of the parodies and the caricatures and the cliches. This was mentioned, if you go on the website, again, hamiltonsalestraining.com, you will see in one of the videos that that, uh, introduces how we're going to get there, the method. And this is really something all that we're going to focus on. So what we're going to do is we're going to pursue customer comfort and consultant confidence. We're going to practice feigned indifference, and we're going to utilize a market-based pricing philosophy, and we're going to utilize the technique or counter-transition close. That is how basic the foundation is and how how basic the, the foundation will be. Everything that we do is pursuant of these things. You're absolutely going to love it. It's going to simplify everything, and it's going to make it a lot of fun, and you're going to see how this develops into the sport uh, that really makes this, again, a, a, just a lot of fun. And it, and it is all a sport. But anyway, that we're going to move forward. But when I say old school and old school management styles, not letting uh, the sales consultant know what's in a vehicle, not letting them talk about rate, not letting them talk about just a number of different things, keeping information to ourselves instead of sharing it, keeping it one-sided, asking too many questions of the sales consultant, not allowing the sales consultant to breathe. In other words, allow them to do what they know how to do. Allow them to fail. Allow them to do the things that, that they have to learn or they have to do to grow. And these are things that are a little bit more old school, again, hiding the screen and keeping things, uh, again, close to the vest. I get it. I was brought up that way in management, that you do all these different things because the first thing a sales consultant will do when they get into trouble is give up this information or give up gross just in order to get a unit down the road. Believe me, I know. I've done it. So this is not something that's a secret. But let me tell you this, and this is for sales managers as well as sales consultants, and I'm going to actually implore the sales consultants to not worry about that information so much and just focus on the things that, that we just stated and allow that to be what you're, you're thinking about all the time and what you're pursuing. doesn't matter what we have in the vehicle because it's all market-based pricing. It doesn't matter what the interest rate is because we don't set it, the bank does. These are just a number of different things. Uh, the trade appraisal, the, it's not us or the dealership that's putting the money on the vehicle. It is the market that is setting that price. That is how we simplify everything right now. You know, we talk about old school too. We're willing to do this. Well, nobody cares what they're willing to do or what we're willing to do. We want to know why it is as it is. And you explain to the customer why we would possibly make that concession. Because every time you do make a concession, if you want it to be the last one, or if you want it to continue to get smaller, you have to explain why it's done as if it's the last thing that you can possibly do. You have to explain to the customer it's because you're very important to us. It's because we rely on your repeat business and we rely on your referrals for us to grow. We don't make all our money on one car deal. These are the reasons behind the whys to any type of concession, be it small, uh, that we would make for you. Again, warm fuzzies and then close. So these are all things that we have to consider as we evolve into the next stage of this business. It's not just like, again, we're willing to do this, we're willing to do that, I will do, it doesn't matter. Tell them why and decrease the amount 
of discount that you need to, to give the customer and make it happen by continuing to use positive value statements by telling them why you would do these things. So it's extremely important. But again, old school, you know, quite frankly, when you think about it, the best process is a combination of everything that we've learned. Now, I don't care if you're on a one-price philosophy or if you're at a full-blown four-square where you're starting at the moon short-term. Uh, this is how, you know, the, the old term, this is how the bank would like you to buy it. Now, how, how would you like to buy it? Uh, whatever you do, if you're assertive, if you're consultative, it, it doesn't matter, okay, because everything is best with a combination. You know, one-price stores do very, very well, or they have in the past, and I know a lot of them that still do, uh, but so do your... Um, the stores that start at the moon and are skillfully coming back down. The best practice, depending on market conditions and what the management decides at your store, is a combination of the two. I prefer closer to the one price because I think it holds gross a little bit better if you use positive value statements continuously and you counter transition close and then you allow the customer a little bit of a win. I think that's the best of both worlds, and I think that gets us the most volume and the most gross on a consistent basis. So we're going to focus on some of these skills and tactics to get there at any rate moving forward. Okay, let's talk about one of the first things that we can get into at the meet and greet. We go out a lot and we uh, say hi to a customer, and they're standing by a car. One of the things, one of the first things that we can do, and I'm going to give you, this is just an introduction to the style that, that we're going to create and we're going to practice and we're going to pursue. But we're obviously going to smile. We'll talk about the approach and, and the meet and greet a little bit later. But I want to, I want to get right to a, a counter. I want to get right to a price counter. And one of the things that we can run into, uh, depending on the customer, if they're trained or if they've been taught a certain way, they're going to try to set up a negotiation right away or a discount. They're not going to look as if they want to be there. They're not going to look as if they're excited about the car. They're certainly not going to tell you that. And they're not going to tell you that the car is priced wonderfully. These are things that they are definitely going to keep close to the vest. We're going to have to get out of them. The chances are, if you do get to the meet and greet out on the lot, and you do have one of those customers that have been trained just to, again, not give much information away, they're going to say something to the effect of, oh, this is too much, or the price is too high, or what will you come down on this price? This is something, again, we're not going to see this more than 50% of the time. In fact, it's uh, maybe 10, 20%, I would think, uh, if that. But it's something that we can go ahead and utilize later in our presentation, in our process. Because at some point, the customer's probably going to get to this and is going to say the price is too high or that's too much or what have you. So I'm going to give you a couple of neat ways to go ahead and counter that. So let's take a look at the first price concern. Somebody comes up and says, well, that's too much money or the price is too high. What do 95% of sales consultants like to do? What do you want to pay? I don't care what the customer wants to pay. Okay, that vehicle is going to bring what that vehicle brings based on market, correct? This vehicle has been selling very, very well for very close to this price uh, for quite a while now, and, and it's been selling well for us here. So what we have to do is justify it right away rather than say, let me go talk to my manager or what do you want to pay like most everybody else is trained to do. Well, if I can get you that ridiculous price, it's wonderful too. If it's a $20,000 car and they say, well, I want to pay you dollars Well, if I can get you fifteen, is this something you'd buy today? Are you kidding me, folks? This early in the process, you're going to go there? Absolutely not. You're setting up a situation that you can't possibly win. Because number one, you're probably not on the right car unless you investigate a little bit further and you get the people's sights up and make them understand. But let's, let's dive into this now just a little bit. The first thing out of their mouth is the, the price is too high or that's too much money. So, John, when you say it's too much money, do you mean it's more than you believe the, th the vehicle is worth or more than you want to spend today? Now, this is key because it's a nice question. It, it's not uh, confrontational, and it makes sense. 
Now, if the if it's more than he believes the vehicle's worth, we're going to make him justify that because you have a value situation. So you say you respond back. He says that's more than I think the vehicle's worth. Very good, John. And I'm going to follow with a positive value statement. Quite frankly, John, these things have been selling very very well for just a bit more than this in the marketplace. Let me show you why why the vehicle's worth the money. And then you go into a presentation. So you just counter transition and closed into a presentation. Does that make sense? Okay, very good. So if he says no, I just I think it's just too it's priced too high for the vehicle. And if you get into that and you know it's a value situation, they don't want to move forward, and you can stop and just say, Great, John, what have you read or heard, you know, that led you to a different figure and what would that be? So there are ways to try to get by that and try to have the customer justify their figure. At any rate, what if they say it's more money than I want to spend or more than I more than I had to spend today? Well now you've got a budget issue, which is totally different than a value issue. Okay, and what you have to do is decide why they budgeted that amount of money instead of, well, if I can get it to that price, will you buy it now? No, don't go there. Don't go there yet. Now, there's always, there is always going to be, a, not always, but we'll probably close before that, but there's going to be a place in time where it's okay to say, you know, well, where do we need to be? Are we close? Where do we need to be to put this together for you today? Where will you feel comfortable making this decision? And if it represents a value, great. If we can do the deal, great. But that's going to come much later in the process, hopefully, after you've saved as much gross as you possibly can and also increase the likelihood of delivering the car. Because the more value the customer sees in it, the more likely you're going to sell it, obviously. So anyway, you have a budget situation. And they say, well, it's more than I wanted to spend today. Now, you have to be a little bit bold, and you have to say, John, I understand entirely, but what you've budgeted and what this vehicle will bring in the marketplace are not related. You know, unfortunately, there's not a relationship between those things. So now, another thing that you can say once you said that is now, are you basing that on total dollars or payment? And if it's payment, have you been quoted a term and a rate or what have you? Or did they give you an idea of what a certain dollar amount would represent in payment? Because a lot of people don't have this idea. They're looking for a $400 a month payment and they're wanting to be on a $15,000 car. Well, yes that would get them there under normal terms or what they want to be shorter term. These are things that we have to dig out and these are things that we have to um, you know, pursue. Uh, but again, the more information that we get and the easier that it comes, in other words, we don't want to interrogate the customer, but we want to skillfully ask the proper questions. So at any rate, so you do have a budget question and you've boldly said that John, you know, what you budgeted and what this vehicle will sell for in the marketplace are not related and then you can move forward. That being said, were you looking to write a check and were you looking to finance? And reason being is we want to go ahead and relate that to the, to the vehicle itself because we do have terms and programs that can help you afford this vehicle. Now, you get a little bit more information out of Johnny. He said, no, no, I'm just looking to stay within that certain dollar. Okay, very good. Now, there's another very powerful counter that you can use to get to a presentation or to increase the customer's sites, and this can be used with price or payment. And basically, it goes like this. John, uh, a lot of my good customers have found it quite a bit easier to discover more money in their budget now rather than settle, find this out in a year or two, and have it cost them thousands to try to trade out of a car they no longer wish to own. And we don't want that to be you. We see that happen every week. Understanding that, can I show you why this vehicle is bringing the money? And try to increase the value in the vehicle and see if it's something that he would consider or John would consider. So this is very powerful. So again, we're going to go with first thing, the price is too high for the vehicle. Okay, what have you read or heard that led you to a different figure and what might that be? Okay, another thing is that uh, we want to keep positive value statements. These vehicles are selling very, very well for just a bit more than this in the marketplace. Now, if it's a budget issue, 
Again, there's no relationship between what you've budgeted and what this vehicle will sell for. And a lot of my good customers find it easier to discover a little bit more in their budget now, pay that rather than have it cost them thousands to trade out of a vehicle they no longer wish to own in just a year or two. We see that happen every week. So try to incorporate these things into your initial presentation if you can. And you can do this when you're closing as well. If you've got to the got to the desk and you're presenting numbers and these same concerns come up, this is too high, or this is more than I, this is too much for the vehicle, or more than I want to spend after you've broken it down and asked that question, then you can counter transition and close off of these. And I think you're going to find the success is there. 